So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just are in awe, Lord, and in wonder of your goodness and your love for us. Lord, you love us despite us. And we thank you for this beautiful word, Lord, your book. Um, there's so many wonderful stories in this book. and But Lord, as we look at Esther, the book of Esther, Lord, help us to glean from it what it is, the truth that you have for each one of us individually, Lord. Help us to really just have open hearts for whatever it is that you want to speak to us, Father, whether it's encouragement or or um, exhorting or conviction in any way, Lord, help us to be open to receive that. And I pray that you'd help me as I teach, Lord, to um, Lord empty me of me and the, the things that I have made it, um, Lord, the struggles that I've had with it, Lord, I pray that you would just empty me of me and fill me afresh with you, Lord. I am your vessel. Use me how you want. And... Just teach each one of us, Lord. We thank you, and you have your full reign here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying, Esther, it's not its not about Esther, and it's not about all the ladies and the men and, and everybody that's in it. I, I enjoy that Esther was a girl just like us that had no idea what her future was going to be. And all of us here, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what next hour holds. And I love that he used her in this book and that we get to read about this for centuries and centuries, and, and it's just amazing of his hand in it. So um, the the overview, the, the title of this book, I would say, is The Providence of God. That's the title of my teaching today, is The Providence of God is so so evident in this book throughout the entire book. And his name, God's name, is not mentioned one time. And that's we don't see that in the other books. We hear God's name used. We, we hear people praying. And not once did Esther even pray. It never says that she prayed, which is just phenomenal. But just because they weren't praying and just because God's name wasn't used doesn't mean that he wasn't there. We see that he was there the whole time. He had complete control and complete power because providence, the meaning of providence by Webster's definition is divine guidance or care. Says uh, by Webster, God's, God is conceived as the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. We know God was not conceived. God has always been and always will be. He is the alpha and the omega. He has no creator and there is no end of God. So, that definition's a little weird in the wording, but I liked that it was the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. God has complete power and complete control over this universe, and creation has to be completely dependent upon him. And so through God's plan, he had a plan with the Jews. And in this book, we see that he was protecting the Jews. So um, as as... He's completely, creation completely depends upon the creator. He created everything. It says that in Genesis 1-1, that everything was created through him, uh, my paraphrasing. But even though, so even though we, before our BC days, before we knew Christ, God was still at work in our lives. And we all have a story. We all have our BC days. No one was born and saved because they hadn't received Christ until they made that final choice. 
And maybe there's some of you here that have never made that decision. But know that God was at work behind the scenes the entire time. So I think that's why, that's how I feel like why God's name was not mentioned here is because we can see that his hand of protection and his hand of providence was completely over this, even though they weren't, they weren't um, seeking him. So um, sorry. <laughs> um, God's providence also, there's three, three components about God. He's omniscient which is um, having superior knowledge and wisdom of all things. He knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that's hidden from him. I remember as a little girl thinking that God couldn't see under a certain thing, like a house or a blanket. He (laughs) He had no idea that there was anything going on because he was limited. He is not limited. The other thing is he's omnipresent. He has unlimited nature of God, the ability to be everywhere at all times. That blows my mind because I am one person. I am human. I'm stuck in this body. I can't be at home and here at the same time. Mentally, I can because I'm separated. But um, but God is everywhere all the time, which is such a sweet thing to know that he is everywhere all the time. He's here with us. It's amazing. Um, and he's omnipotent, meaning unlimited power. God has unlimited power to do whatever he needs to do. And so even though throughout this book his name is not mentioned, he was there. He was there from the beginning to the end. So King uh, Ahasuerus, we will learn next week in chapter 1, that this was a man that had great power and great authority. He was uh, a ruler over 127 nations or providences from India to Ethiopia. Still, with all his power, God is bigger. Um, and then we see the, the characters through this, Queen Vashti. She was, I'm sure, a beautiful woman and sounded very lonely in her life, separated. She wasn't with her husband. I am blessed that I get to share a room with my husband. I'm not in a separate house. I don't have separate quarters. Maybe that would be nice sometimes because <laughs> we all need her alone time. However, she didn't have that, and so she was a lonely woman. And so in her separation, we see, we'll see that the king demands for her. He wants her to come and parade around and show off his beautiful bride or his, his queen. He never even calls her his bride. And I love, my husband calls me his bride because that will be forever. Like, I'm his bride. That means just so many things other than just the queen. It's such a cold statement. But he calls for her and she's, she doesn't want to go. And I can't blame her. I can't say that I would be like, yeah, I'm going to go and um, my husband's drunk and all these men are going to stare at me and gawk at me. No, not going. And so Queen Vashti doesn't go. And because of her decision, there is uh, consequences. King Ahasuerus has an anger issue, and so he blows it. He's mad and calls together not wise counsel, which we know we're supposed to call wise counsel, but he calls um, wise men. And probably they're wise in their own eyes, right? And so they tell him to get rid of her. And not only that, but make this decree that all men will be, you know, have honor in their household and whatnot. And there's, there's a point of respecting our husbands. We need to respect our husbands. But above and beyond, he goes to the extreme 
and he banishes her as far as, she, or deposes of her, meaning she's no longer his queen. And it doesn't say where she went. We don't know where exactly that, that uh, sent her, but she's no longer his uh, bride anymore, his, his queen. And so she's gone. But God was still in control, and God had a plan. Because if Vashti was in the way, then Queen Esther couldn't come. So Vashti now out of the way, Queen Esther is sent through like a beauty. Uh, there's different, um, different like Jehoshaphat, uh, I'm sorry, Josephus, the historian, Jewish historian, um, says that maybe there was about 400 women um, that came to this beauty pageant uh, to have one night with the king. And from that, he was going to decide. And so, again, just just the horror. I don't know. Thinking about all that just really disturbs me, thinking I'm, I am glad I live where I do, and I'm glad that I am married to one man and he has one wife. And I'm grateful for that. But these poor girls, you know, at later we'll, we'll uh, elaborate on that later in chapter two. But just still, God in control, God allowing these things, just like today, God allows pain and turmoil, suffering. We've all suffered. I know we've all suffered in here to some degree. And he allows it, but he has purpose. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. And he is a good God, and he loves us, and he will use those things, those pains, those trials, to draw us to him and then to comfort others the way he comforted us. And so Queen Esther, she becomes queen, and she is a Jew. Her, her um, parents both died, so she was an orphan. She was raised by Mordecai, her, her cousin. And Mordecai trained her up to not tell of her heritage, that she was a Jew. The Jews at this point had been, um, they had been captive in Babylon, but now they're out. And they were, re- they were told to return home to Jerusalem. They didn't. Some of them didn't. And, and here Esther and Mordecai hadn't returned home. They had not returned to Jerusalem. So now they're in Persia and they're scattered abroad. And through this, God is going to save his people, the Jews, because God made a promise to bring the Savior through the Jews. And God is a man. Jesus was a man and God fully, but God is a, is a person that, that um, he's faithful to his word. What he says, he will do. He is not like us, where we say things and we don't know about the future, and so we break promises and things fall apart. God is not like that. God is an orderly God. He is a faithful God. And so God wants to save the Jews. And so Esther is, is um, brought to, to be queen, and there's a purpose for it. So Mordecai, he is a man that is, um, he sits in the king's gate. He is an honorable man, it seems, uh, a man of integrity. And so over all these years of him telling Esther to, to be still, to be quiet, Esther is also honoring Mordecai's advice, so she stays silent of it. And we see that there's a, there's a right time for everything. Just like God's word in Ecclesiastes says that there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Everything that we are going through, we are in the season we're in for this time. There is no accidents. We say, we get an accident, that was an accident. Well, but God allowed it. And so in God's providence, he is in control and he allowed it. So there's no coincidence. There's no, oops, I don't know where that came from. God is not surprised by any of it. He's in control. And so now we see um, Haman is a, an evil guy. 
I will call him, um, because he he's very uh, he's very prideful. You can see his character, or we'll see later. Um, Haman was an Agagite, which they believe the scholars believe that the Agagites were related to the Amalekites, and so when Mordecai won't bow down to Haman, Haman is furious because Haman had been promoted to to um, King Ahasuerus's like right hand man, like his prime minister, and so Haman is full of himself, and he wants Mordecai to bow down to respect him in that, you know, bowing down to him. That's that's a big, that's a big thing that um, I don't think any of us want to do. We don't want to bow down to our president. We don't want to bow down because we should only bow to the Lord. That is it. And so um, Mordecai is is consistent with that. It, it shows us. But Haman doesn't like that, and so Haman declares he's going to, he plots to destroy, annihilate. That word annihilate, just it, obliterate, get rid of entirely the Jews. So he wants to completely destroy the Jews, which is Mordecai's heritage, which is also Esther's heritage. And again, it's still secret, so they have no idea that... Um, I just see the excitement in that is there's a reason why she was told to be still. And I know we've all had times where we're like, oh, I just want to tell the secret. I just want to tell. I just want to tell. And the Lord's like holding us back, holding us back and telling us, be still, be still. I've got this or, or whatever, even if it's an exciting thing. But he tells us to wait because God's timing is perfect. And so Haman in his anger plots to destroy all of them on a specific date um, the 13th day of, um, of Adar, the month of Adar, which is the, the Hebrew calendar. Um, Tanner's been teaching on that, the, the, fest, the feast and the, um, the Jewish calendar versus the secular calendar. We, we live by the secular calendar here in America. Um, the Jews, though, the practicing Jews, still live by both. They, they practice both. Um, so uh, fast forward, Mordecai hears of the the plot to destroy the Jews and Mordecai is in distress, but again, not once does Mordecai say he went and prayed. Said he tore his clothes. That was a sign of of mourning. That was a sign of uh, just complete, you know, frazzled um, to tear their clothes. I'm glad we don't do that nowadays. But um, I felt like that before. I'm sure we've all felt like that. Just the Hulk. So, um, but. Haman does this, Mordecai's extremely upset, and then Esther, because she's in the palace at this point, she's the queen, she doesn't know what's going on. So Mordecai, you know, lets Esther know what's going on and still says to to be to be quiet, not to share yet. And so um, we know that there's a again a set time, a set purpose. And there's that beautiful um Beautiful verse for maybe, well, before that, Mordecai's uh, fasting. And what I thought was funny is he's fasting, and even Esther starts to fast. But where? what's the point of fasting if you're not praying? What is the point? Without God, if you're just going to fast, it's like a diet. It's nothing. It's not going to do you any good if you're not seeking the Lord. So we have our, our monthly, once-a-month fast, um, church-wide fast, and for the leaders, we're, we're called to do that. And if I just do that, but I don't pray, it's like I'm just, 
I'm just maybe going to go do blood work or I'm dieting because it's pointless without the Lord. But what I love is God's promises are not contingent upon us. They're his promises. And of course, he wants to choose to obey him and he wants us to choose to follow him. But he will still bring his promises to fruition with or without our obedience. And I love that. So um, fast forward. Um, Esther, you know, says don't uh, don't eat or drink night or day. Her friend, her maids are going to do the same, so they do that. And then there's a Esther in that she's obviously deciding whether or not she's going to do a um, how she's going to do this. How is she going to represent this to the king? Because if she goes to the king uninvited and she's not welcome, she will be killed. And so. This is, this is where I see she's a woman of valor because she comes and she's like, okay, if I don't do this, my people will perish too. And it's not just about her. And I know we've all had to make decisions to where it's like, I could get hurt, but my babies are what I'm concerned about. My children or my husband or, or, or our church. And so really that's, that's great is her perspective is she's willing to die. Um, so she, she, decides to do a banquet and calls together Haman and King Ahasuerus. And he obviously found favor. He, I'm sure she was physically beautiful, but she had an inward beauty. And that's really, it's just like it says in Proverbs, right? That uh, charm is deceitful, deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. I don't know if she's following the Lord. I hope she's following the Lord, but she is one of God's chosen people. She's a Jew. And so uh, Haman, or I'm sorry, um, King Ahasuerus has favor, has, finds favor with her. And so they go and they have this banquet together. And I kind of, it's funny because she doesn't tell him that night. She says, I want you to come back tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, is that her? I'm too afraid to do it right now. Come tomorrow and I have more courage. Or maybe she's, stirring up the courage to do it, but also the plan and maybe wanting him to see her in, in the light of who she is and her integrity, maybe. So again, they come back the next day, but that night, the king can't sleep. We've all had those nights of insomnia, I'm sure. <laughs> Hormones, whatever you call it, but it's insomnia. And so the king calls for um, the, the books, the chronicles to be read to him, and uh, I don't know that that would help me sleep. That might make me more awake. But that was what he called. And so they, they came and, and started to read to him. And Mordecai had told of two eunuchs that had, had wanted to kill, um, had plotted to kill the king. And so um, they had already been destroyed, those eunuchs, but nothing had been done for Mordecai. And so the king says to Haman, or calls for Haman. Haman comes. And his thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He's just so full of himself. <laughs> I was Mr. Arrogant. So he, um, Haman, thinks when when uh, King Ahasuerus wants, um, he says, sorry, um, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? So, Mordecai is asking Haman, what, what would you do? You know, what would you do for the uh, person that, that needs to be honored? What would you do? And Haman's thinking it's him right away. 
which I know we can all be convicted, like we've had those thoughts of, oh, oh never mind, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> but so Haman tells him, obviously, what he thinks is going to happen to him. And so he just goes full on board, which I love because God is so, <laughs> he has a sense of humor, I know, but God is in control. And, and so Haman tells of all these wonderful things. Um, and I love that it says, um, you know, to, to say this is who the, the king delights in and, and whatnot. Um, and so Mordecai says, or I'm sorry, King Ahasuerus says to Haman, do all this that you've said, but do it for Mordecai, which is just hilarious because Haman hated him and now he's got to honor him. And so it's just it's kind of funny. Um, and so he does that. He prances around on the, the horse, puts him on the horse, this nice robe, yada, yada, goes on. And Haman, after this, is now furious, goes back to his, his uh, house, calls for his wife and his friends. And Haman, um, Haman's wife and his friends say, well, make a gallows, you know, destroy this guy. Sounds bad. So he does that. He has a uh, gallows made, which was super tall, but it was to hang people on. And he has that made. And so the next day, the banquet happens. Haman goes back with King Ahasuerus. And now Esther, in her courage, tells him that her people have been sold. Uh, I'm sorry. For if her people had been sold and destroyed uh, as slaves, it would be one thing. But they're going to be annihilated. And the king obviously now loves Esther. He's like, no way. You guys are not. This isn't going to happen. And so the king um, says, Who's, who would do this? And here's Haman. You know, I'm sure like, oh, great. <laughs> I wasn't honored and now I'm, I'm exposed. So the king leaves in his wrath. He, he rises up and, and walks out. Who knows how long he was gone. But Haman then throws himself on the couch where, where Esther is and just like, not once do you see repentance here. Not like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe there's a God. Maybe, maybe I should have done things differently or, or whatever. There's no repentance. He is like instead pleading for his life, which I hope that if we, this happens to us at some point, we would say, oh my gosh, you know, I've sinned. I've sinned. But he doesn't. It's, he's pleading for his life because he knows he's going to be destroyed. And so Haman is hung on the gallows that was meant for Mordecai. Amazing that God's providence He's completely in control of this whole thing. He knows exactly the beginning and the end. He knows what's going to happen. And so Haman's destroyed. And Esther, she saves... Because once a king's decree was made, it could not be unmade unless the king took it out. And so even though now Haman's destroyed, the decree is still in place. And so Esther knows she's got to move. She's got to do something about this. And so Esther... Um, tells King Ahasuerus that, you know, the specific date, date and all that that's going to happen. And so the King Ahasuerus says, do whatever, do whatever you need to do. And so not just that, instead, now it's, you have free right to destroy anyone that's trying to destroy you. So it's not just cutting the decree, but now it's to fight those people, to get rid of them that are going to destroy the Jew. And like I had shared before with Haman, Haman being the the Agagite, in um, Exodus 17, Moses 
declares that get up really quick um, that there was um, going to always be basically a war with the Amalekites, who is related, they believe, to the um, Agagites. The Agagites and Amalekites were related, and so. Um, because the Amalekites had ambushed God's people. They, they ambushed them. It wasn't even like a fair war. It's their ambush. That is not, not, not good. And so Moses, um, the Lord had said to Moses, this is Exodus seventeen fourteen, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out from the remembrance of Amalekite from under heaven. For Moses built an altar and called it, called its name, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So they were, they were God's uh, people's enemies, their foes. And here you see this later, way later. And here Haman, it's like it makes sense. Well, Haman, uh, or Haman was a enemy. Because he was an Agagite. He was probably, you know, related to the Amalekites. He was an enemy of God's people. And so his, he had like this internal hatred towards Mordecai. Mordecai didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't like, he didn't, you know, bow down to him. And so it's, um, now these people that want to destroy the Jews are going to be destroyed and it's going to be okay. It's, it's like you have free rights to destroy, um, the letters the king permitted to the Jews were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or providence that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. So free reign to destroy anybody that was, that was going to try to destroy them, even the little children, even the women. Again, God fully in control. So we see, uh, fast forward to chapter 9, the Jews... Uh, they destroy their tormentors. They are able to do that with um, what freedom to be able to protect their own lives. That's like us being here. If the right to bear arms, if someone comes into our house to be able to defend ourselves, we should be able to do that. Um, but that, there's more there than just the physical. Uh, there's a spiritual battle going on, right? Why? Why? Because the Jews, if Satan can destroy the Jews, Jesus isn't going to come. If Jesus doesn't come, the world does not have salvation. And they can't be with Jesus forever. So we see this spiritual battle really going on. And it says that, for we don't war against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and powers of darkness. And so that's that's really what's going on behind the scenes here, is this was Satan setting up this little, this little scene with uh, Haman and Mordecai. But God prevails. And so not only... Are the Jews um, able to protect themselves? Haman's been destroyed. Haman's ten sons are also hung on the same gallow to get rid of those people um, that are trying to kill the Jews. And now, uh, after that, because that happened on the same day, the same day that what when when Haman meant to destroy, the same day they are able to protect themselves. And so now the Feast of Purim is going to be instated for the first time. Uh, the word pure in Purim stands for lot, or it comes from the word lot. The, uh, Haman had cast lots to pick the days of when he was going to destroy or, or to make that little um, 
the little verdict of the days of when the Jews would die. And so now it's like Satan fighting back against Satan. There's victory over. We have victory in Jesus. We already know the end of the story, and we have victory through him. And so for forever now, the Feast of Purim is set on the 13th and 14th day of the month of Adar. And so now forever, it's, it is still celebrated by the Jews. I had looked up and did a little bit of research on it. Um, it's supposed to be also the book of Esther to be read during that so that they would never forget. But now when I look at modern-day Purim feast, I don't really see that. And it's sad. It's kind of like they forgot again. And we are prone to wonder. We are prone to forget. But we shouldn't. And so um, we obviously, as, as Christians, we're, I don't know if there's any um, born-again Jews in here, but we, we don't celebrate that day, but we could always remember. We should teach our children, like God's word says, to train them up in the way that they should go. We should be showing them his word and teaching them. And so just as the days of Purim are, are meant to be kept, we, we should keep those things in our heart. We should ponder those things. So um, I know for me, I can see different, different times in my life where God was that his providence was there even when I didn't call out to him. Even when, even before in my BC days, before I knew Christ, he was there. He was still at work. He was still doing things, setting things up. Um, and that's our testimonies. Each of us have a testimony in here that God's hand was upon our life, just as he, his hand was upon Esther's life and Mordecai's life and all the Jews to bring this to fruition. And so we have that with Romans 8.28. He says he works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if we have Jesus, he will use all these things, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, for our good. So I just want to encourage you to think about God's providence in your life. What has he done in your life? And where was he before you knew him? Or even in the days when you, you do know him, uh, or since you've been walking with him and you know him. Um, so that is it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word and that you are so good and that you are completely sovereign. Lord, help us to trust you even in the midst of our lives with the, the different seasons that we're in and the struggles and the cares and the worries, Lord. They're really... They're not too big for you. Lord, you are in complete control, and we trust you with that. Help us to really live like that. Live as if we stand in that. Help us to be zealous for your return. And we thank you, and we love you. And I pray that you just bless each of the ladies as they go to their groups. Lord, help them to um, to really uh, dive deep this year into your word. And not just for knowledge, Lord, but for for a deeper intimacy with you, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.